Genesis chapter 12 is our uh, Old Testament lesson for today. Verses 1 through 4. And this should be familiar to you. Uh, This is the call of Abram, who we know as Abraham from later in his life. But this is the initial call, starting Genesis chapter 12. We're just reading verses 1 uh, through 4. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for uh, the joy that we have in, uh, in knowing you and knowing your love, knowing your forgiveness. God, we do pray that it would extend from us uh, to others as well. Or the lives that we live, we live out of uh, your love for us and our love for you. God, we do pray that as we hear your word read and proclaimed today, that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that are ready to receive it and be changed more and more into the people you created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Genesis uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. You can continue reading later for the rest of the story, but for now, let's move on to Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 17, again talking about that same guy, although now we're referring to him as Abraham, because God had uh, given him this new name, Abram, which meant exalted father, and Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. And it's important to know, going into this section we're going to read, that uh, when he was called exalted father, he had zero kids. And when God changed his name to father of multitude, Abraham, he had zero kids. Okay, let's read. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? 
It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who, are not, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If I were to ask you to quote one verse of the Bible by memory, just on the spot, my guess is a lot of you would immediately go to the same verse. John 3.16, am I right? Sure. This is probably the most well-known verse in the entire Bible. But, if I were to then ask, Uh, What else is happening in that same chapter? What are the verses that come right before it about? What are the verses that come right after it about? Well, there, it's probably less well-known. But that's what we're going to be looking at today is John 3, 16 and the few verses that follow. Last week, we looked at the verses that come right before it. And what comes right before it is actually uh, Jesus having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to him at night and is asking him uh, questions. And Jesus keeps coming back to you. You must be born again. You must be born again. And then we looked at that weird passage last week where it talks about uh, when snakes were biting people in the wilderness and God had Moses put a bronze snake up on a pole and the people who looked at that would, uh, would not die. And we looked at how Jesus then takes that same story and applies it to himself as those, as people who look to him will be saved. Um, John 3.16 is the very next verse after this. And uh, any of you have a, a Bible with red letters in it that you're looking at right now? If you have a Bible with red letters, raise your hand if John 3.16 is in red. Okay. Raise your hand if it is not in red. Not a lot of red-letter Bibles. Okay. <laughs> uh, so if, if you have one of those Bibles, you know that there's um, the letters that are in red are what Jesus is saying, and then the uh, words that are in black are not the words that Jesus is saying. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because John 3.16 is one of those where there's been a bit of um, confusion in 
is this something that, you know, when you try to put it in red letters, is this something that Jesus is saying, or is this something that John is saying after the fact? And you have to make that call if you're going to put it in red letters. Or if you don't even have red letters, where do the quotation marks go? Right? Because when this was written originally, they didn't use quotation marks. And so you just have to sort of figure that out. And this is one of those where um, the way that it reads, you kind of could see it either way. This could be a continuation of what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, or this could be John commenting uh, after that conversation and saying, this is what's going on. I will tell you right now, uh, most people take this to be what John is saying later. So that's how we're going to talk about this uh, now. Um, but again, it's somewhat ambiguous. So if you, <laughs> you see it the other way, that's fine too. But here's what John says after this conversation. When Jesus has just said to uh, Nicodemus, you know, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have, or everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then comes John 3.16. It's a famous verse. John writes, For God so loved the world, we know this already, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So here we have the context for this famous verse. Now, I will tell you, this verse is famous for a reason. It has uh, been called the gospel in a nutshell. You can take a look at this one verse, and you can see, I mean, what does gospel mean? It's good news, right? Well, what is this good news? Well, who's it about? It's about God. So the whole Bible is about it's about God, but it's not just about God by Himself. It's about God and His relationship with the world. And what does it say about God's relationship with the world? Is that God loves the world, right? And how does He demonstrate His love for the world? By giving. By giving. Um, there's a commenter talking about the different types of love in Greek and how uh, there's the eros and phileo and agape, etc. So uh, they talk about how eros is um, more the sexual desire kind of love. And it said that that kind of love is just all take, take, take. And then there's phileo, which is more the friendship kind of love. And it said that one's kind of give and take. But agape the way that the Bible uses that, it's all give. It's give, give, give. And so when it talks about the way that God loves the world, it is God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave his one and only son. Come back to that in a bit. And whoever believes in him 
shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this, this idea of perishing or having eternal life, this is what goes back all the way to the beginning, right? You have the tree of life that people no longer have access to because they've chosen to follow their own way instead of believing God. And we're right back to that in the middle of you know, John chapter 3, and we're right back to there again. If you believe, you have life. If you don't believe, you don't have life. That's what it all goes back to. But now what, uh, what is going on is it's, it's what we believe in and who we believe in. And it has to do with Jesus himself. Now, um, so we'll come back to that middle bit. Uh, but before we get there, I'm going to go a little farther. We're going to skip down further to the end. This idea of uh, verses 19 and following. Where it says, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. I don't know about you, I was raised with an expression in my house, nothing good happens after midnight. Anybody heard that one? Anybody lived that? <laughs> yeah, why was, it, why was that a saying? That nothing good ever happens after midnight. Because <laughs> it's true. But why is it that it's after midnight that it happens? Because it's dark, right? Look, uh, there's also the expression, you know, the cover of darkness, right? It's done under the cover of darkness. This is when uh, crimes tend to take place. You don't want to do things in broad daylight uh, if you don't want to be seen, if you don't want to get caught. And so you do it under the cover of darkness, so that you can get away with it with no one knowing. This is the idea that John is working off of. But this is also something that works its way into all of our lives, and it has not as much to do with whether it is daytime or nighttime outside. Um, But it has to do with what is seen and unseen. When we are aware of being watched, and when we think, that no one's watching. And so the idea here, when it's talking about, uh, you know, people wanting to come or hide from the, from the light or wanting, uh, verse 21, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so maybe seen plainly, etc. And I think if I were to ask most people, would you rather people knew what you were doing or not, I think for most people, they'd be like, yes, no, I need more credit than I'm currently getting. I am doing things that are good and no one even knows about it. Right? You feel that? that there's, no one knows all the good things that I'm doing. And so if you were to say, would you like you know, more of a spotlight on those things so people would know about these things that you're doing? Of course, yes, absolutely. I think that is one of the reasons why social media does so well. <laughs> because you get to put the spotlight on those things of your life that you think everybody needs to know about. It's all going so great, and you should know about these things. But what if I said, okay, well, spotlight on your life, but you don't get to pick what gets spotlighted. What if, what if all the things that you don't want anybody to know about, those 
secret thoughts, those secret actions, those secret attitudes that you harbor? What if that's what gets the spotlight? Anybody want to sign up for that now? Yeah, that's a different story, isn't it? This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what John is talking about, yes. Where it says, and Jesus talks about it other places, we'll get to that too. It says, uh, that light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We know that too, don't we? The parts that we don't want exposed to the light, we don't want people seeing, we don't want the spotlight shining on that because that's the part we wish weren't there. And so we hide. And we hide from the light, even when it is a light that is to bring healing. You know, we talk about uh, going into an operating room to have surgery. Let me ask you, if you've ever had surgery and you go into the operating room, they've got all those big bright lights, right? Do you want your doctor to use those lights? Or would you rather he just turn them all off because you're kind of embarrassed about what he might find in there? You want the lights on. (laughs) You want the lights on because that is how this operation is going to work. That is how the healing is then going to take place. And so when John says the light has come into the world, it's this kind of light. Back to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Back to the operating room. The idea is not to turn on the light in order to embarrass you. It's to heal you. And if we are to run away from the light because we are embarrassed of what it's going to expose, then where is the hope of healing? And this is why verse you know, 16, 17, this is why these are such big verses. It's because we tend to have it in our minds that the, the light itself is inherently threatening because it's going to expose us. It's going to show the things that we don't want anybody to see, and we don't get control over where that light goes. And we want the control. We want to be able to say, look at these parts of my life, but not these parts. But when the light comes in, we give up the control, and it needs to shine everywhere. And so it's important that we understand First of all, in verse 16, that this is within the context of an amazing love. So we come back to this part. For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave his one and only son. If you... um, If you've ever tried to wrap your mind around that, Make that personal in a way for you. Where if you have a child, would you be willing to give your child? To give your child up for anything? My guess is for a lot of us, the answer is going to be no. Not a chance. And for others, it may be, you know, I might but that would have to be something really, really worth it. And so we have, um, we have families. Sons and daughters join the military. 
and go uh, to serve and fight overseas. And parents have to deal with that. And that is not an easy thing. But how are they able to do that? There are a lot of ways, but one of the, one of the ways is by understanding that what it is that they are fighting for is a greater value, is a high value, and is something that we say is, is worth the sacrifices that may have to be made. And that is a horribly gut-wrenching thing to even have to say at all. And families deal with this individually. And what I want to say is that is even still nothing compared to what it means for God to give his son. And so we have to go back to this and say, well, then why in the world would he do that? And we say, because there was something that he valued that was of a very, very great value. That is why he was able to give his son. And what does it say that he did this for? It's because he so loved the world. And this is how he demonstrates this love, is that there is nothing that he is going to hold back, even when it's his own son. We've been looking at Abraham this morning and some of our other uh, things we've been reading. And this was, this was kind of the test for Abraham too, right? Is Abraham really going to love God? Is he really going uh, to follow him and everything? Well, why don't you give me your son? And Abraham is willing to go through with that. And God says, but don't. I don't need you to actually do that. But that is a demonstration of this amazing love. But God says, that's not what you're going to do. That's what I'm going to do for you. Um, and the place where that happened then uh, became named, you know, a name meaning the Lord will provide. And many years later, God did provide. And he gave his son. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And it is only when we understand that he gave this, that he gave his son out of love that it makes any sense at all. There are a lot of other reasons that we might come up with as to why uh, Jesus came, but none of them make sense. Unless we understand it's about love. About a self-giving and a self-sacrificing love for the good of the other. And God so loved the world that he wanted to save the world. Here's the thing. Read verse 17 again now. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When we mentioned earlier about the light coming into the world and people wanting to hide because their deeds are evil, that makes sense. That makes sense if you think this is a light of condemnation and of judgment. But if you keep it in mind, verses 16 and 17, that this is because of love and that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world, you're right back to the operating room. That this is not a light that is there to embarrass you. It's not the one that's going to um, bring up all your junk just so the whole world can point and laugh. It's a light that is there so that the junk can be dealt with 
and healing can take place. It is done not for condemnation, but for salvation. It is done in the context of love. Okay. That's, that's the main idea. This is the main idea of the whole story, right? This is why it's the gospel in a nutshell. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And you may know these words, but I hope you know this message. I hope you know this message and are ready to share this message with the people you know who think that the light is about condemnation or that think that Jesus is about condemnation, pointing out all the things they do wrong instead of wanting them to be saved and to know another way. Verse 21. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You may remember uh, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' most famous sermon. So we're going from the most famous Bible verse to the most famous sermon ever preached all together here. And in this sermon, Jesus talks about, this is chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. He talks about um, doing things in front of other people and doing things in secret. And the way that he talks about this is, uh, is a way of pointing out that how we know what we believe, how we know what we really believe, will be demonstrated when we think the lights are off, when we think nobody's watching, when there are no cameras rolling, when it's just us by ourselves with God. What are our thoughts like then? What are our attitudes like then? What are the, the stories we tell ourselves then? What are the things we do then? This is how we know what we believe. You may have heard the, uh, the expression before, uh, character is what you do when no one's watching. You heard that? Character is what you do when no one's watching. I think there's another way of saying the same kind of thing. But it more has to do with um, what you believe, what you really believe, is demonstrated when no one's watching. Here's how Jesus talks about it. He says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so then he goes through uh, three different things. He talks about uh, giving money. He talks about praying. And he talks about fasting. And in each one of these things, he says, there are ways to do this where you're showing off to other people. And he says, and if you do that, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. You've already received your reward in full. Everybody thinks you're neat. That's great. But that's it. But then he says, here's what you need to do. It's not when you're in front of people. He said, go uh, into secret you know, with giving. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. With praying, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who sees what is done in secret. And every time he comes back to the same line, which is, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Hmm. This is where our faith is demonstrated. 
oftentimes I'm afraid we try to have what I will just call a Facebook faith. And what I mean by that is we get to pick what other people see. And we can make it look like we believe things that deep down we may not believe. But how do we know? We know when we believe no one's watching. And what do we do then? And how do we act then? And how, uh, how do we demonstrate that we still believe? And here's, so here's what Jesus says. You know, when, uh, when it's done in secret, that's how you know it's for real. When you're not going to get any credit from anyone you know, that's how you know it's for real. That's how you know this is a relationship with you and God. When you're praying because you're communing with God, whether anybody else knows about it or not, it's because you're really praying and not just parroting words to impress other people. When you are giving, and you're giving generously, but you're not giving uh, generously to get your name on a plaque or to impress other people, but you are giving because you genuinely want to help other people. Whether anybody knows about it or not, that's when you know you're giving is genuine. This is back to verse 21 now in John 3. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I wonder sometimes, um, this is not an accurate uh, vision of heaven or hell, I don't think, but, but I wonder sometimes if, you know, people talk about, you know, having near-death experience and you sort of, your life flashes before your eyes kind of thing. But what if instead, your life flashing before your eyes, what if after you die, you watch the whole thing play out again? the whole thing play out again, kind of in real time, but with all the thoughts and feelings and everything kind of on the screen in little pop-up bubbles. <laughs> and you watch the whole thing again, but with the whole world watching. And everything is revealed. This seems to be saying that those who are genuinely living by faith and are living recognizing what they're doing is in the sight of God. Bring it on. Let's do that. But otherwise, that instead of being heaven, would be hell. To have to sit through that again. Now, as I mentioned, I don't think it's what it is. <laughs> I don't think that's an accurate depiction. And I think part of... Uh, Part of that comes back to this. What that implies is that the revealing would be for condemnation, right? That it, when everything is shown, it's what it is. But that's not what Jesus comes for. Why did I say he came? Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Right? And so imagine again, you have the same thing, the same scenario, but now you've got Jesus at your right side. And as everything is playing out, all of the, um, 
all of the areas where you have turned away from God have been forgiven, have been completely forgiven. And so whether you want to picture that as having been, you know, that part of the tape has been erased, (laughs) or maybe better yet, has been kind of written over in a way that demonstrates the grace of God that covers it all. So you don't have to be ashamed of any of it. That you can be fully open in the same way that you wouldn't be um, ashamed of an issue that, uh, that a doctor is having to go in surgery to fix. I'm not ashamed of this. This is what it is. <laughs> but then it's been taken care of. And so in the, you would boast in the skill of the surgeon so we'd be able to boast in the work of Jesus and what he has done in us and through us. And so with that, I conclude one last time with just reading John three sixteen and 17 again, that we would understand and know deeply that this rescue mission that Jesus was on uh, because of the love that God has for the world. And that means you and me. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.